Okay, so this is the last part of this. It's going to turn out probably to be a four-part um, study here on glorification. We've looked at several different places. So we looked in Romans chapter 5, verses 2 through 5, and we looked there at this kind of virtuous cycle of God's glory leading to hope and then us in our suffering, enduring, and in that endurance producing character, and that character producing more hope. We looked at Romans chapter 8, verses 16 through um, 25, or actually 16 through 30 there, um, and looked at how this hope for glory um, kind of anchors us into uh, an overwhelming hope that we ought to uh, carry forward into each each of our days. And then last time we were together, we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verses 35 through 58. And here, we, I, was, I was hoping that this would kind of be a stepping point into what we're going to be looking at today. Um, there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35, through 58, we looked for, there was kind of two big things that I wanted us to see as we were looking through this, that there is this uh, idea of continuity between this life and the next. Um, our work for the Lord is based on that. Like, um, if you go out working diligently for the Lord, you can know that that work is not in vain because the efforts and energies that you put into this world carry over into uh, into the next. Um, but but along with that, we have a great hope for a dramatic transformation as far as the experience that we have with um, this new body that we, hope, uh, that we hope for in Christ. So there is a continuity between this life and the next, but there is also a great transformation that um, creation will undergo, um, a great transformation that we ourselves will undergo um, it is going to be better than anything that we could have ever hoped for, dreamed, or imagined. Today we're going to kind of take that and we're going to look at the one, one clear example in Scripture. And when I say one clear example, we're going to look in one particular text, but the example that I mean or intend in this is Jesus, <clears throat> the resurrected Savior, right? That's the example. If you ask yourself, what does heaven look like? Um, what will it be like? What is this hope for glory? Like, what's the shape of it, right? Uh, the clearest place that you can see this hope is in the Gospels and the opening of Acts, where you see Christ raised. You see the first fruits of this resurrection that we will find ourselves a part of. When, when we get this idea of first fruits, the, the idea of first fruits is um, if you were a farmer, you go out into the harvest and you take some first fruits and you examine them. And, and by looking at the first fruits of the harvest, you can get an idea about what you might hope for the rest of the harvest to look like. If you go out and you harvest those first fruits and those first fruits look rough, then um, your outlook for this season might not be good. But if you go out and those first fruits look good, they look fresh, they look exactly like what you would hope them to be, then you have a hope that the that the when you when you take in the full harvest that it will look 
like this first fruits, right? So Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection, right? It's not a separate resurrection that we will find ourselves taking part in, but we will find ourselves taking part in his resurrection, right? So what we see in the Gospels about Christ, these are things that we can know for certain we will be able to experience in the resurrection. So when we look, when I when I look towards this hope of glory, this hope of being united as a as a co-heir with Christ, the place that I go to first is the end of the Gospels. Particularly one of the places that I will go to, um, and that I've spent much time myself um, here, kind of examining and kind of trying to draw out from all those details, is Luke chapter 24, verses. 13 uh, through the kind of the end of the chapter there. Um, and we're going to look at that. <clears throat> we're going to look at that today. But the first thing that I want us to do is I'm going to read um, the pre-Paulian creed from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 um, so that we can um, get this kind of uh, foundational starting point here. Um, this is what this pre-Paulian creed is what the church was holding to, Right. Um, if, if you want to dig in more, um, I, I didn't make up the word pre-Pauline creed. That's a, a term that tends to be given to this run of text um, because it's understood that what Paul is transferring here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is something that was well established and that he u- was using it likewise as a pattern um, when understanding uh, the, the work of the gospel. And we're going to look at the, the whole thing here, but we're going to be particularly looking at the appearances at the end. Okay, so he says, For I delivered, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, he says, For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and, and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Okay, so one thing that I want us to consider is whenever the church was establishing the reality of their hope, right, what it was that they were going to tell the world, um, they included in it the appearances of Christ as a, as a foundational reality to the truth of what they were proclaiming. That they saw Jesus, right, and that they that that the same Jesus that they had walked with before the cross was the Jesus that they had seen afterwards, right? This is continuity. When I talk about continuity, I'm talking about it's the same person before then that you find after. So after the resurrection, it's this same Jesus who did all of these things. It's the same Jesus who died for our sins. It's the same Jesus who was buried. It's the same Jesus who was raised on the third day, all in accordance with the Scriptures. This is who appeared 
to these this list of individuals here right so the appearance the ability to see this savior raised is something so important that it was it was included as part of kind of the testimony for this creed that the church was um was sharing okay um so uh question that I have myself when I look at that, when I consider that reality, when I consider how um, kind of short and concise it is that they were that they were that they were saying they could have said a lot of the works they could have included a lot of the things that he did during that time between the resurrection and the ascension but they focus on the appearances like he appeared to they don't they they seem to leave out a lot of these details about what we might want to see right like um so when we go to uh now if if you will turn with me to luke uh luke chapter 24 um, we'll, we'll start looking in verse 13, um, but you can just kind of see the context before that as resurrections happen, people have visited the tomb um, and testified to the tomb being empty and having seen, um, seen these angels testi- testifying about him being raised. Um, and then we find ourselves on the road to Emmaus with these two disciples, one of which we get their name. And I want us to consider... <clears throat> I want us to consider for a moment how important every single second of those 40 days between resurrection and ascension were. Okay, this is the one glimpse, the one like true glimpse that the world and all that would see Jesus would get about what this hope that we long for is in this 40 day period the first fruits of the resurrection walked amongst us right the first glimpse at the culmination of all the promises walked amongst us and he did what we would see if we read another sections of the gospels would be sufficient to fill enough books that the world couldn't contain those books and i ask myself the question i ask myself the question like i wonder about what it is that he that he did there right i'm like because like the things the moments that they shared between the resurrection and his ascension were so powerful, um, were so instrumental in shaping the future of these men and women that we are here today because of those things that, had they been written, would fill volumes. Yes. Because like his was it one of his brothers? Yes, his brothers come around. Like it's only after the resurrection that the most of his family even like consider the things that he's been saying as being true, right? Like beforehand they had their questions, and as you would with your brother that seems to think that he's God, right? (laughs) Yes, because you can never measure up to Jesus's, you know. (laughs) Like, and then it's afterwards that they are that they are convinced, and it's this t- 
time that Christ is walking amongst in this resurrection body that is what he's 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 embodied today right like there's the 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 ascension itself is narrated for us to leave no question he was taken up in a cloud out of sight Yes, not poof, he vanished, but a cloud, and then he's taken out, and then he's he, the those who witness this are told that in the same way he left, he'll return. Continuity between what they had just experienced and what they could hope to experience in the future, right? And now, I ask myself, out of all those things that were seen by them, that were seen by the authors of scripture why is it that we get so few details like I ask myself that question because if you look at the end of the gospels after the resurrection it goes very quickly from this detailed story about what happened leading up to the cross to most of them just immediately go to the call take this message to the world right Yes, and then the rest of the Bible is the church working to carry out this great commission. Looking towards this physical hope of a resurrection. And yet, the details that we get about it, the reality of all that they'd seen we get a sparse glimpse, a very sparse glimpse. If so many volumes that books, the world couldn't contain them, and then we get literally pages. Um, Do you think it's because he had already proved it? Like, that was the proof in the pudding, I guess. Like, I mean, yes, he continued to do miracles and things like that, but that wasn't the important thing. Yeah. The important thing was, he's here, he's in his body, he's a human. Yes. Yeah, I think I think I think there's I think there's much of that. Um, there's a reason that, like, as as they're literally going out to where Christ will ascend into the heavens, like they're like, now is it the time that you're going to establish your kingdom, right? Like we've seen all these wonderful things. We know that you are the king. Death itself has no hold on you. Like now is the time. Right? And he doesn't he doesn't say to them the Lord's kingdom isn't coming. Right? He's like, it's not the time it's not the time for you to know these things. Right? Like So I think there is a part of the reason that the details are left sparse that is a wise decision by the author of Scripture to leave us with this cliffhanger hope. Alright? Um, that we are pushing towards it. And that our minds are left to to wonder in in awe of it, right? Um, but the details that we are given, though they might be sparse, I believe um, give us a tangible hope that um, in many ways to me at least, is more encouraging to me about what I have to hope in 
than had it just listed um, innumerable miracles separated by commas for a dozen pages or so. Um, so what do we see here? Um, like I said, Jesus, ha- Jesus was 40 days, right? Um, every moment essential. Every moment essential. Every decision about what he would do then was giving legs to the church that will blossom out of these moments. Everything that he was doing here. I don't. Here's the thing. I think that he did a lot of. I think he that he did a lot of miraculous, awe-inspiring things. But here's the point that that I want to get to. This was some of the most important working that he was doing amongst his people. Um, And if his time is, especially in this short window that he had most critical then we ought to consider what it is that he considered important there okay he he considered it important to show himself to the ones that were followers of him that's what we see in first corinthians Yes. Of all miracle of miracles that he read was only yeah. he wanted to prove himself. He didn't. He didn't. There was no there was no more need for him to display his power over creation. So what he does instead He wanted to show us Yes. Yes. What he does instead is he comes to those he loves. And he spends time with them, right? Encourages them. Um, we're going to read 13 through 49. I'm going to read a list of you, a, a list to you of things that we will see in this. Um, one, we'll see that Jesus draws near, and he comes alongside them. Two, we'll see that he is recognizable. We'll see that he speaks with them. And that he holds conversation with them. It would appear that part of that continuity between the Jesus before the cross and the Jesus after, that there is personality that is preserved in this. His memory appears to be preserved. Scriptures are still central to explaining truth, after the resurrection he breaks bread with them likely sharing a familiar moment and in this moment they recognize him their eyes are opened he can be touched he is made of flesh and bones he has a body that consumes and processes food he uses the scriptures as well as past shared experiences with them to open their minds, demonstrating to me clearly memory is preserved in the resurrection. 
Okay, so let's let's look at uh, Luke chapter 24, 13 through uh, 49, and let's let's see how that we see these details in this text. That every day, or that very day, excuse me, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Remember that they were walking from Jerusalem, or they were walking to Emmaus, and Emmaus is roughly seven miles to Jerusalem. Um, and they were talking with each other about all these things. That's the what they'd heard about Jesus' body being missing, what the angels had said. Uh, verse 15, And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Of all the things that Jesus could have been about at this moment, it was important to him to draw near to two of his followers in this moment. Jesus, in the flesh, draws near to them. Now, verse 16, this is the miracle that happens here. Um, But their eyes were kept from recognizing him, which means Christ, the continuity between the life before and the life after, Christ is recognizable. So, a couple of things that I draw from this about the reality that we will have. We will be embodied in a physical body that is made for a physical reality that operates much like the one that you're familiar with, right? Because he walked along the road with them. Light from the sun bounced off of his body into their eyes and they perceived him. But a miracle was performed so that they would not recognize him in that moment. Because the physics of this world would have rendered to their minds, this is Jesus, had not this miracle been performed. So we will be embodied, we will walk, we will draw near to one another, We will draw near to Christ. We will walk alongside one another. We will walk alongside Christ. We will join in this discussion. So while they were discussing, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, so again, um, another small detail, Jesus here speaking to them. Again, this body works in the physical reality that we are familiar with ourselves. My vocal cords vibrate air. That that vibration travels across the room to you, vibrates your eardrums, the electrical signals to your brain, and this machine in your head translates it into things that you can understand, thoughts and ideas. Jesus' body, this resurrection body, works in a physical reality like we ourselves work in. He speaks um, and interacts with this created world that he holds together. So he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And this is where I see some of this personality of Jesus 
being continuous from one to the other because Jesus operated before in a very similar way as he's operating here, right? Like, reality is Jesus himself is the only person here who knows what's happened in these days, right? Like, they're like, do you not know? And Jesus is like, tell me more. Tell me more about, about what it is that I don't know is occurring here in these days. And, and he said to them, what things? Right? He's wanting to have this conversation with them. He's not just coming and then just like pushing and pouring all these things over. He wants, he wants to interact with them. He wants to interact with their hearts and their minds here. What things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God. And all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be contemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And they think that they know everything that was going on on this day, right? <laughs> like, little did they know. He's a, they say, yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying they had even seen a vision of angels who had said that he was alive. Do tell. I can imagine the look on his face as they're going through this, um, miraculously being kept from recognizing who he is right now. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe all the things the prophets have spoken. Again, we see this same Jesus that would speak just like this before. He's speaking in the same way now. Was not was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? In this moment, he's drawing back. His memory is drawing back beyond the grave that he's been raised from. And then he's also coupling that with the scripture that he learned from childhood to the point in time that they put him on the cross. He's drawing from these memories. He's drawing from these experiences here. And beginning, this is one of the most, verse 27 is one of the most uh, hopeful passages that I find myself um, reflecting on as I consider what we might hope for Uh, in the resurrection. Verse 27, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He sat down with them of all the things he could be doing now. There were kings and kingdoms that he could have walked through their front gates and overthrown in a moment. And yet he's sitting down with his followers, two of them, encouraging them, pointing out truth to them about himself. And he used the scriptures. He used the scriptures. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. 
He acted as if he were going to go farther again, like this is Jesus being Jesus here. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Now, do you imagine... Do you imagine that these disciples, followers of Jesus, who Jesus saw it necessary to go and walk alongside and encourage and build up in the Scriptures, do you think this was the first time they ever broke bread together? No. No. Now, as they're sitting down breaking bread, do you not imagine that their minds were cast back to a time when Jesus was doing this very thing before, breaking bread. And in this, what happens? In this moment, in this moment where it's like they're re-experiencing a shared experience that they would have known and Jesus would have known from before the cross, from before the resurrection, as they're doing this and their minds cast back, their eyes are opened to this. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they recognized him. He was recognizable. We will likewise recognize one another there. We will likewise share in shared experiences with one another there. That cast our minds back. Okay? So, they recognize him. And what, what happens? Well, I would imagine as soon as, as, soon as like their, their vision is restored and they see him, that they look to one another in like an overwhelming excitement. We will see it, we will see it down below described as like disbelieving for joy. Like the heart so overwhelmed that it's like I can't believe my eyes. Right? So this, this happens here. Um, and, and in the meantime, Jesus kind of goes off. He vanishes from their sight. Uh, verse 32. Um, they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? So they were feeling this long before um, this moment. Like as Christ is describing, as Christ is um, digging into the scriptures, um, their hearts were burning um, excited about the truths that he was sharing with them. And they rose the same hour and they returned to Jerusalem. So that was seven miles. They literally got up, went back um, to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven. Um, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed. He has appeared to Simon. So he had also appeared in this time, time span, either before he had appeared to the two, or um, uh, sometime between the, when the two got back to Jerusalem, he's appeared to Simon. Um, so Jesus is making, making appearances now. He's coming. He's spending moments, intimate moments with them, no doubt doing the same pattern of encouraging and lifting up and uh, show, proving and showing himself through the Scriptures verse 35 and they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread see even when they were relaying this story something about that 
that moment where they were sharing that intimate time with their Savior. No doubt that they had shared dozens of times, if not hundreds of times before, that moment of breaking the bread, that their eyes were open to this. It was important to them. When they're describing it, they're mentioning particularly the breaking of bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they saw a spirit. As you would, because dead people don't come back to life. It's a hard thing to believe, especially if you're the ones that are seeing it. You're seeing it for the first time, right? This story hasn't been passed down from generation to generation at this point. You are the you are the beginning of this, right? So they say they're like, man, like it's got to be a ghost because dead people stay dead. Uh, verse 38, and he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. He's showing himself to them so that they will see him and recognize it as being him. So again, he's recognizable. He's also someone who can be touched. This is a physical reality that we have hope for, right? See my hands and feet that it is I myself. He says, touch me and see. So uh, from this, conclusion that we can draw about this hope that we have is it's going to be physical reality where we can draw near, we can communicate with one another, we can have shared experiences with one another, we're going to participate in um, meals together, in conversations together, in digging into Scripture together, in spending time with Jesus together. We will be able to embrace the ones that have gone before us. Like that's a big, that's a big deal, that's a big deal. Um, we'll be able to see them again. We'll be able to see him again. He says, "For a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones, as you see that I have." So again, appealing to the physical nature of of what's going on here. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieving for joy and were marveling, he said to them, "Have you anything to eat?" And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. So if you notice before, it speaks of him breaking bread, and when he's breaking the bread, it never specifically says that he eats it. I imagine that he probably did, but it makes very clear what took place here. He took the fish, he ate the fish. He consumed the fish. His body works in a similar way as our bodies work now. There's a continuity between that. I would imagine he had a throat, a stomach, his body processed food. This new creation will consume and process food. We consume and process food for energy each day. See, we think that we're going to become gods. We think that our dependence on God somehow will be loosened in the resurrection, that we will become gods ourselves. But we will still need God in each and every moment. In each and every moment, He will be our sustainer. And we will rejoice when we eat food and we get energized by the food that we share with one another. He's going to feed us, right? We're going to have meals with Him. We're going to have meals with one another. We're going to have meals with men and women from the generations and generations past, as long as God has been doing this work. Then He said to them, These are my words I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. What is he doing? He's drawing back to conversations that they had had previously, encouraging them from it, using Scripture to do so. So there's a lot that we can unpack here.
there's a lot that we can unpack. Um, I would encourage you to go and uh, just spend time in uh, the Gospels um, looking at the resurrected Christ, what he prioritizes, the things that he chooses to do with his um, immeasurably valuable time. He spends it with people. Yes. 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 And now we know. And now we know that he's going to like you will have moments with him. In him, there will be moments in heaven where it's just you and Jesus. There will be moments where you have him all to yourself. Yes. And yes. And like it'll be so revealed to us. It'll be like when they saw him eating. Yeah. And they knew it was him. That's how I think yeah. we're going to be for eternity. Yeah. They're going to be going, I used to think this is what There will be moments now. of totally all ready. again and again and again and again. Can I get your keys? Um, yes. Water.